respect for that holy, infallible Word of God, remain standing, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at just one verse today, Matthew 5, verse 13. You'll find it on page 683 if you're using a copy of the Scripture under the seat in front of you. For the summer months, we've been doing a few short series, and we begin a new short series today. Two series ago, we talked about the, the call of God to evangelize the nations, to go into the world, and for us as Christians to preach the gospel to those outside these walls. The next series that followed that one then was to look inwardly, to preach this gospel to ourselves, to be certain that we were recipients of this gospel. Today, this new study that we began, looking at a few parables from the Gospel of Matthew, it is now living out this Gospel. Not only our call to evangelize the nations, to preach that Gospel to ourselves, but now in word and in deed to live that Gospel out. Specifically by thinking about us being called the salt of the earth. So our question then before us is, how are we being that. How are we being the salt of the earth? Are we living salty lives in the world in which we live? Let's give then our full attention to God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Hear now the word of God. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, one small short verse before us, and yet one powerful passage convicting us of our salty or our saltlessness and how we live trampled down in this life instead of living the life that you have already created us to be. So open our eyes now, Father, please, to behold beautiful, wonderful things from your holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Open our ears to hear the preaching and the application of that word, that your spirit would change us, even as we have just said, like streams of living water flowing from within us. Do it for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Well, it wasn't long after my wife and I married that we came to this conclusion very quickly, and that is that she was a beach girl and I was a mountain man. She loves the beach, she loves the sand, she loves the salt, she loves the sea, she loved everything about it. But 34 years ago, this past Sunday, our anniversary, 34 years ago, I would have much rather gone to the mountains to do my fly fishing, to see the beauty of the colors of the mountains, the cool, crisp mountain air, and so forth. Jennifer's mother owns a store on South Padre Island. She's owned it for over 30 years now, and so we've been going to Padre. I have lovingly supported my wife by taking her to South Padre Island for 30 years so that she could enjoy uh, the beach and all of those things that, uh, that take place down there. Well, over time, now the older I get, the, the colder the weather is, the more I dislike it, and, and the more I have become a beach bum instead of a mountain man. To this point, listen, this, this, we were down there last weekend. My daughters came down because my mother-in-law had a, opened a new store and she had a grand opening, and my daughters were, were 
were bumfuzzled because dad, of all dads, has finally put bumper stickers on both of his cars. I have a salt life bumper sticker on my truck, and I put a salt life bumper sticker on Jennifer's car as well. <laughs> Melissa was like, who are you? You never put bumper stickers. And now suddenly you start to become a, a beach bum, and you're, you're putting bumper stickers on your car. But look here, not just that, but I literally have the t-shirt. I've got the t-shirt right here, my salt life t-shirt. I have become a salt life lover. We get out of the car after we drive over the causeway. You can just smell the salt in the air, feel the breeze, the warmth. It's absolutely wonderful. But along with that, friends, comes this. That salt puts a nice film right over your windshield that you can't even see out. It covers the car in a blanket of white that you cannot get off. It smells so good in your nose, but it gets all over your body, and it doesn't come off. And so what I do now is, as soon as I possibly can, I wash it all off. As soon as I come off the beach, I beeline first one in the shower to get all of that salt off my body. When I get my truck or my car off of the island, the first thing I do is wash it by going through a car wash to get that salt. I carry around a little jar, a little can of WD-40 because it rusts everything, and so you just spray the WD-40 on anything that's metal. Salt, very, very small, and yet has these huge ramifications, these huge differences, these huge changes. So now take that then. You know where I'm going, right? Jesus has said to us that we are the salt of the earth. Very small. Something sometimes you can't even see, but makes huge changes. And how do we so often live our lives, the Christian life, kingdom living, by washing that salt off as soon as we can? It rusts, it cakes, it coats, and so we want to wash it off, and we want to do the very same thing with our Christianity, with the very call that God has commanded us to do, to go into the world and live out this kingdom life, to live out the gospel, and we want to wash it off as fast as we can. This passage that Jesus gives us, telling us that we are the salt of the earth, is followed or follows the, the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And it starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man that does this. Blessed is the man. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that are meek. Jesus is giving us, friends, this huge summary of what kingdom living is all about what Christian living is all about. Here are the, the things that we display in our life, this very broad summary of the Christian life, and then he focuses in on two things by saying, now, with all of that, let me narrow that down to say, now you are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The characteristics of the Beatitudes are to be manifested in our whole earth, in the whole earth, 
You are the salt of the earth. And the characteristics of the beatitude are to be manifested in the whole world. You are the light of the world, verse 14, Jesus says. I want to take simply the first one today. As we begin a, a, a new series thinking about Christian living, kingdom living, what does it mean for us to be the salt of the earth? Jesus begins with seven words that are really uh, an indicative description. Before he gets to an indispensable prescription, he gives us this indicative description. Indicative, not imperative, and that's important for this reason. The indicative is the state of being. The imperative is the command to go and do. Jesus is not giving the imperative, the command to go and do. He is giving the indicative, a description of who we already are and who they were back then, those that were listening to the words as he preached them that particular day. Look how he starts. You. Who is he speaking about? Who is the you there? Is it singular? No. Is it plural? Yes. And it, it's described for us or defined for us by chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him. Jesus' disciples came to Jesus and Jesus began to teach the disciples saying. So the you of verse 13 are the disciples, Jesus' disciples that he is saying, I want you to understand now this broad look, this summary of all of the Beatitudes of Christian living. Now you, look what he says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you're going to be someday, or you might be someday, or I hope that you will become that someday. The indicative is this. He is describing their state of being. And their state of being is that they already are the salt of the earth. Here's grace, my friends. Here is grace because Jesus has already made us into something that he has created us to be. He is not asking his disciples to be something that they are not. He is not asking his disciples to become something that they cannot become. He is telling them what they already are. You are already the salt of the earth. But the Beatitudes end right before this particular verse of being the salt of the earth with a focus, the context on persecution. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people will insult you, they will persecute you falsely, and going on, rejoice and be glad in the same way, you are going to be persecuted just like the prophets, but you are the salt of the earth. What would they have heard? I think this. I think Jesus has called these 12 disciples, apostles to himself. And he's saying the crowds, and he said that in verse, five, or verse 1 of chapter 5, he saw the crowds. And so he's saying to the 12, you see all of those people over there? It is your job and your responsibility now to go and be salt to them. To be salt to them. And they're thinking to themselves, but salt is so small. It's so small and that, that crowd is so big. 
how, how, can I, how can I be salt to them and teaching them the scriptures and living out the scriptures in front of them? But Jesus' point is the very thing that I just made in the very beginning. And that is that there are big changes made by this very small thing called salt. And so they're hearing in their ears, you go be what I've already created you to be. It's very small, but you are going to have lasting and large effects. But what about you and me then? The very indicative description that Jesus gives to the disciples then is the same indicative description that he gives to you and to me today. Those that are in the kingdom, those that are part of the Christian community, those who love Jesus and long for his appearing. How are we being salt? Something small but affecting great big change in the way we're living our life in our world today. James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite authors, put it like this. He said, Christians sit on the sidelines without savor that's already been provided by Jesus. Doesn't that describe us many times, friends? We're not being the salt of the earth. We are, as Jesus goes on to say, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men because we're not, we're not living salt lives. We're not being salty we're sitting on the sidelines with the very thing that Jesus has given us and we are not doing it. And I, th I think we do this in one of two ways. We think about this or we act on this uh, indicative description of, of being the salt of the earth in one of two ways. We either hear it that we are becoming that. I'm becoming the salt of the earth. I'm out there and I'm, I'm really trying hard. I'm, I'm preaching a moralistic sermon to myself. Matter of fact, there are lots of moralistic sermons that are preached from the pulpits around our country today and around the world today. Just get out there, try harder, and do better. That is no gospel at all. And yet we preach that gospel to ourselves, don't we? It's all up to me. I have to become the salt of the earth so that I can look better than the person that's next to me so that Jesus will look down on me and say, oh, you're great, you're not so good. Maybe you could try harder and become like him or like her. That's not what this gospel is all about. You are indicative. Your state of being, you already are the salt of the earth. So if we are not trying to become the salt of the earth and we're getting beaten down by our failure to do so, we keep sinning over and over, which is why we have a confession of sin in our liturgy every single Sunday and why I sit right over there and say, Lord, ditto from last week. <laughs> All of the things that I said last week, ditto again. I just keep, I keep loving the darkness more than the light. And so that finally leads us to despair where instead of saying that we are becoming the salt of the earth, we say, I can't do it. I, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to plop down. I'm, I, I'm denying the fact that Jesus has already made me into what he has commanded me to be. I just deny it because I don't see any change in my life. I don't see that I'm, that I'm mortifying this sin, that I'm killing this sin. It just keeps coming back over and over and over again. And so in our discouragement and in our despair, we begin to deny the very thing that Jesus does for us, saying that you are the salt of the earth, and we fail to live it out. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, Father, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. But I am praying that you would leave them in the world and make them to become more and more holy. 
He is not snatching us out of this world that we live in today. He has already indicatively declared that we are the salt of the earth. And what he promises to do is take something very small, like your life, something very small, and manifest that into large, large repercussions. So Jesus then moves on from that indicative description now. He moves on to this indispensable prescription by by talking to them then and to giving us application today. If you're following along in your outline, all I want to do now is I I want to go back and forth between them back then and us today in, in what I think would be at least three areas or ways that those hearers back then would have understood in their context what he meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. First, it's this, they they would have understood clearly that salt was a preserver. They didn't have refrigeration back then. They didn't have the deep freeze out in the garage. They could go throw uh, all of their steaks in. They had no electricity, anything like that. So salt was a preserver. They would take pieces of meat and they would rub salt all over that meat because salt would preserve the meat. What is Jesus saying? If I were back then, I think this is what I would be hearing. I know that I rub salt all over the meat to keep it from doing what? To keep it from becoming rotten. To keep it from decaying. You are the salt of the earth. He is saying, the earth that you're living on, the world that you're living in, is completely rotten and decaying. It's not filled with good people or those who are kind of basically good people. The world in which we live, apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is rotten and decaying. And I think that's exactly what they would have understood. We rub that meat with salt. And now he's saying, you are an act of the preservation of the world in which you live. The world in which you live is rotten and decaying, and I'm going to use something very small like you to affect change, to preserve the world that I have created. So what does that mean for you and me? This, friends. You cannot rub the salt on the meat and have the salt and the meat separate. We cannot sit on the sideline separate from the world in which we live. The wheat and the weeds grow together. That's the parable that we're going to look at two weeks from today. If we are going to rub the salt, and we are the salt of the earth, onto the, the rotten, decaying meat, that's the world in which we live. We cannot separate ourselves from the world. We have to engage the culture in which we live. Because Jesus promises, saying you are the salt of the earth, he promises to make big changes from little people like you and me. If we fail to do so, then we are worthless and we might as well be thrown out and trampled by men if we are going to sit on the sideline and do nothing engaging the world around us. You are to live Christianly in your homes with your wives, in your homes with your husbands, in your homes with your children. You are to live Christianly in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in the grocery store, behind the wheel of the car that you drive, everywhere. You are the salt of the earth. And so by being that salt, we are the agent of preservation in a rotten, decaying world. Friends, listen. So many times I hear this. 
So many times I'm guilty of saying this. Oh, this country of ours is just getting worse and worse and worse. No, it's not. We may be experienced blessings differently at different times, but this world, this country, is rotten and decaying. It always has been and it always will be if it is apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as agents of preservation, we live that gospel out. You see how simple this is? It really is so simple. And yet, yeah, no, we don't want to do that. Secondly, let's go back then. They would have understood back then, not only was salt a preserver, but salt added flavor. It added savor. When they rubbed the salt on the meat, and then they cooked the meat, the salt enhanced the flavor of the meat. I salt everything. I salt everything before I even taste it. Sometimes because I love salt that much. But you can't rub the salt on the meat and that salt not affect the flavor of that meat when it is later cooked. And I think they would have clearly understood that. Jesus is saying, you salty lives are adding flavor to the world. You're adding savor to the world because this world is rotten and decaying and you're the only thing that's going to add any kind of, of flavor to, to the world that you, in which you live. So what does that mean for you and me today then? How do we live in the salty condition that we have been created to live, adding flavor to the world? This way, listen, we say it over and over. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and what? To enjoy Him forever. And yet we cut that off, don't we? Man's chief end is to glorify God. That's where we want to stop. Because our life many times does not display that I actually am enjoying God. Your life, the way you live it, ought to be not only glorifying the Savior who gave it to you, but actually an enjoyment. That the Savior is our pleasure, our deepest longing pleasure, the pleasure that only He can fulfill. He adds savor to my life. He adds pleasure to my life when I am living in relationship with Him. We're going to do a series in the fall on what it means to enjoy God in our life because too many times Christians don't. They don't enjoy God. They just go through the hum, hum, bum life that they live in, sitting on the sideline, instead of looking at the world in which we live and saying, we're, we're the saver. We are the, the agent of preservation and the agent of pleasure. Uh, and the pleasure is not us, but the pleasure is found only in this one, who is the savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go back then. For the third and the final way, I think they would have understood it. They would have understood that salt was, was a preserver. They would have understood that salt added flavor. But I think lastly, they would have completely understood that rubbing that, that salt all over that meat made them very thirsty. And so they enjoyed drinking a little bit more wine. Pretty good thing, huh? Makes the heart glad. Big old T-bone steak or a... Or a, uh, a uh, Filet mignon that's about two inches thick, you know, nice and medium rare on the inside with a glass of red wine about this big. <laughs> you can't get any better than that, right? I mean, that's some good stuff. Because the more you take salt, the more thirsty you become. They would have understood that back then. 
because it's been this way since God created human beings. You add salt into the human body and it pulls the fluid out of the cells into the bloodstream, which makes you thirsty, which is why you swell up when you eat that great big pizza from Papa John's because it's pulled all of the salt out of the cells and into your bloodstream. And so your ankles look like cankles. They're about this big until you flush it all out by drinking more water. You're with me. You smell what I'm stepping in. I know you do. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? They would have understood that. We ought to be living thirsty lives, my friends, but we do not satisfy the thirst. We are pointing them to the one who only satisfies the thirst, and that one is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I can't satisfy the longings of this rotten, decaying world but I can point him to the one who has satisfied me and given me great pleasure because he has saved me by his grace. You are the salt of the earth. And now as the salt of the earth, I can say, here's the one that satisfies. You can try all of those substances. You can try all of those material blessings, all of those things that you want, but nothing, none of those will ever satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy is Jesus Christ. And when they come to that conclusion, we have effected, as the preserver, great change. Small people making big, lasting changes as we do what it is that we've been created to do. And that is that we are the salt of the earth. It's not that, this isn't rocket science. It's just so simple. So Jesus would say, John 7, listen, I can't satisfy your thirst I can make you thirsty by living salt in front of you, by being salty. And then Jesus would come along and say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow from within him. That's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel that we're seeking to live in this rotten, decaying world. Are you thirsty? Do you see something in me? that makes you long for that, that makes you thirsty for what it is that I have, I am pointing you to the very one who gives it to me. And if you will drink from him, you will have streams of living water that will boil up within you and flow out of you. It's not that difficult, but it is that huge, something small to affect something so large. He did it for us by his grace, dead in sin, but now alive to all that is good. Friends, I do not get political in this pulpit. After 15 and a half years of being your pastor, you probably know that. I've been criticized for that, and that's okay, because I do not believe that I stand in this pulpit to preach political things about one particular nation. I stand in this pulpit to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I am often not very political, uh, because I don't think that politics has any right in the preaching of the word. It certainly is in our lives. You are commanded to fulfill the privilege that you have been given to cast your vote. And if you don't cast your vote, then you have no right to complain about anything. That's the way I look at it myself. But I'm going to get political for just a moment, because we cannot neglect the world in which we live today. Let's start. There are three things I want to point out very quickly. And the first is this racial tension that is part of our world today. Where you have Black Lives Matter over here and Blue Lives Matter 
over here. And the tension that we have in the world in which we live today. The world is rotten and decaying. We cannot affect any kind of change on the way that we are living when we are not giving the only answer. And the only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer is the gospel. Now, friends, we have people on both sides. I want, to, I want to be very clear about this. Those on this side that seek to find something racial about every single thing to the point that they would, they would, they would ambush police officers and kill them is just as bad as this end over here that we want to neglect all too often. I hold in my hand something that Pastor Belanger mentioned to you last week. Two weeks ago, it was from some certain Presbyterians within our denomination, as a result of the, 45th General, the 44th General Assembly and Overture 43, Overture 43, which passed overwhelmingly at our General Assembly, 860-something to 120-something, that we confessed the sins of our denomination, the Southern Presbyterian Church, in our failure in the civil rights movement to stand up for all of life, the equality of all of life. We failed to do it back then. But there are some, friends, now listen, in the PCA, I'm not talking about the liberal church, I'm talking about within the PCA, individuals that got together and decided what they were going to do is put this document together and they were going to blitz the, the nation in PCA churches by putting these on, on windshields of, of worshipers while they were in the, in the sanctuary and their cars were out in the lot. Four churches in our presbytery were blitzed with this trash that's right here. And that's all it is because this is kinism. And they are very clear that that's what they want. That we were created different and we shouldn't even commingle together. Even in churches, that there ought to be white churches and black churches and Asian churches and these churches. There ought to be black communities and white communities. That's what this promotes and it's coming from within the PCA. Good golly, Miss Molly. We're the conservatives. We're the ones who love life and stand for life. So how dare us sit and point our finger over to this side when we got people on this side that are causing this over here on that side? How is this being salt in our world? How are we preserving life, savoring life, and causing others to be thirsty for the gospel? That's nothing but trash. Trash. We have denounced it as our presbytery. I denounce it as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not, not living salt lives. That was number one. I'm just getting started. <laughs> All right. All right. She's going to break out into an amen here in a moment. I know you are. All right. Political, or this, this racial tension. Come on, friends. Come on. We live, we live in a diverse community. The Lord has brought the nations to us. We ought to be engaged in this community, in our whole community. For this, this place ought to have the complexion of what, what heaven will look like. And that is every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping God together. Amen?
Amen. All right, number two, political tension. Political tension. You cannot turn on the TV and get any candidate at all without listening to them sit and bash the other candidate. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I've watched, I, I watched as much as I could of the Republican National Convention this past week <laughs> until the closing prayer of the opening day. Did you hear about that? I saw it. This man stood up in the, the, the podium in front of the Republican National Convention to give the closing prayer and benediction and said, I am from the state of South Carolina, yeah, 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 and I am here to pray for the Republican Party because the Republican Party is the Christian Party, and we stand against the enemy, which is the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton. I, I thought to myself, What? How is, if you're claiming to be Christian and part of the Christian party, how is that being salt? How is that being a preserver, a saverer, one who is causing others to thirst and come to the only one who satisfies? Being a Democrat does not make you any more of an unbeliever than being a Republican makes you a believer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes you a believer. And what we all need, Republicans and Democrats, is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of life that he gives us. Stand up and say, just because I'm a Republican means I'm, a, and I'm the Christian party? That is not salt living. That's not salty lives, my friends. That is of the evil one. Number three, the separation now of the church. In, in this racial tension that we're living, in this rotten, dead, decaying world, the political tension that we're living in this rotten, dead, decaying world, and now what has the church done? She's hightailed it to the mountain. She's run off and left this world to live the way it, it's gone to a hell in a handbasket. We're just going to run away and get out of it. That's not salt living, my friends. I want us to ask the question, this question. Listen, not... Look at how bad this world is that we live in today. But I want you to ask yourself this question. How have I fostered that by failing to be the salt of the earth? How have I failed? How have I, as Jesus says, now am no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled down. We, you see, we're a lot like, the church is a lot like the Muppets. Those two guys that sit up in the balcony, you know, what's their name? They just, hey, look at that. Stop that. Get over here. Put that. Be a Republican. Don't be a Democrat. Don't like Hillary. Go vote for Donald Trump. What? Well, that's us. We sit up in the, in the balcony just finding all of the... But we, we don't want to engage. We don't want to do the very thing that God has already created us to be. And that is the salt of the earth. We want to run. We want to separate. And we want to just sit and point our fingers... And so I want you to wrestle with this question today and the rest of this week, the rest of this life. How am I adding to that problem? Instead of looking at all that old, old world we live in, this is just a terrible world, our country is terrible. Yes, and you are part of the problem when you fail to live as salt of the earth. Same for me. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given the gospel. He promises to take very small things and affect huge changes. Are we doing it? Are we being the salt of the earth?
It's what we've been created to be. You see that right there? Howard can. That's, see, you need to sit forward. This is one of the reasons when I bring my visual aids. That is a little blue pill. And that little blue pill is lisinopril. And lisinopril is my drug of choice two times a day to control my blood pressure. Because when I preach, I get a little bit, <laughs> I get a little bit, of, I get a little going. Uh, so twice a day, twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And you know what this does? This allows me to shake more salt on my food. <laughs> no, I, I shake a lot of salt on my food. And I love it. And when I do, it makes my blood pressure go up. But you know how I can change salt? I can change salt, one little bitty salt, by one little bitty pill. What is your one little bitty pill that is keeping you, that is reversing the very thing that the effect of salt will have that Jesus has said you are? What is the one little bitty blue lisinopril that you are taking that undoes everything that Jesus has said that you are? Is it your pride? Your prejudice? Your self-righteousness? Your materialistic love and living that you want what you want? Or your, just your downright flat disobedience to being the salt of the earth? You throw that little pill over there and it wipes out that salt altogether. Small things, like even a pill, changes small things. Let's get rid of the lisinopril. And let's be who we've been created to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are. You are the salt of the earth. Now let's get out there and let's live salty lives for the glory of our Savior who has given us his gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that we are yours, bought with a price, that we are yours because while we were dead in sin and transgression, you made us alive again in Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be dead to that sin now and alive to all that is good. So Father, I pray, having created us to be the salt of the earth, that you would now empower us by your, your spirit to leave this place and be that salt, to be the salt that you've created us to be as we lead others to the only place where that can be satisfied, and that is in Jesus himself. Do it, please, for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond, friends, by the giving of our gifts. Our ushers are coming to collect our morning offering. Friends, let's give sacrificially to the work of the kingdom. This is an eternal investment in the church, the salty church that goes into the world. So please give hilariously. If you're seated on the inside of the row, would you also reach forward, please, and grab that black pad under the seat in front of you. Print all of the information requested there, and then pass that pad down so that we have a record of everyone's attendance with us this morning. And then lastly, remain seated, please. Let's turn to hymn number 562 in the Trinity hymnal. Hymn 562, remain seated, we sing together. <laughs> 